since I was a little girl, I dreamed of traveling to Nepal. My grandparents were missionaries here in the 50s, and the stories I used to tell were fascinating. majestic than my dreams. The people are so warm and kind. It's nothing like back home where everyone just keeps to themselves. I love it. The culture is so rich. Everything is steeped with meaning and tradition. There's just so much to see and learn. The way I see the world is changing every moment I am here. We don't learn about this stuff in school, or maybe I just didn't pay attention. always told us how hard it was to be a missionary. There are some places in the world that are difficult to share the gospel. But now that I'm here, I'm starting to wonder if sharing the gospel is really necessary. I mean, these people seem so committed, devout, happy. Do they really need to believe in Jesus? then if they aren't wrong, I must be. Unless we're both wrong. I mean, how do I really know? Maybe we're both right, but only in part. Perhaps they have tapped into the mystery of God or the universe in a different way than I have. What if we're all on different paths, heading up the same mountain? We see different views, different landscapes, experience different aspects of this mountain. Yet in the end, we all reach the same place. This sounds nice, but is it true? I wish the world were that simple, but I don't think that it is.
All right, good morning. Good to see you here this morning. <clears throat> Happy Veterans Day to all our veterans. Thank you for your service. Some of you have served, some of you are still serving, and who knows, some may still serve. Uh, so, thanks for being here today. How are you enjoying the weather? Finally, uh, winter weather. Ray, Ray says she's ready to build a snowman, so I say she needs to move further north. How about the rest of you? But anyway, <clears throat> we're, um, we're fortunate to be here. We're thankful to be here, and uh, veterans, uh, there will be something, a uh, special service for, for you and your families after this service, so we're pleased to be able to, to host that. We've been in a series, this is the third Sunday of five, so this will take us to Sunday past Thanksgiving, uh, called the Thinking Series, the Thinking Series. So hopefully when you came in, you didn't leave your brain at the door. Hopefully you don't check, check out on us mentally when you come in here. You didn't leave it in the car or at home, because we believe that part of being a believer requires the brain. The Bible says that when we respond to God, we love God, we do it with all our heart, soul, and what's that next part? Mind and strength. So we want to use our brain. And we've been, we've been talking about questions that make us think. These are questions that a lot of people out there in our culture are asking. Maybe some of your friends. Perhaps you. You know, American Christianity has morphed into really something quite different than it was 100 years ago, maybe even 50 years ago, that people are asking the same question this young lady on the video are asking. And that question is, why can't we just leave everybody alone? We can be Christian, they can be Hindu or whatever else, why can't we just all coexist? And so this is the third question. We've asked the question, does my life have meaning? How can my life have meaning? We answer that in the first message in this series by saying your life has meaning because there's a God, and God created you for eternity. Now, we, we made the assumption that there was a God, so we, you know, we, we, can, we can make that assumption as Christians because did you know the Bible makes that assumption? The Bible makes that declaration. In the beginning, what? God. And so that, that led us to the second question, which is, okay, does God exist? You say, my life has meaning because there's a God. How do I know God exists? That's the second question. And when you're talking to a skeptic or an atheist out there in the world or in your workplace or even in your family over Thanksgiving dinner, over the holidays, they may have these questions. You know, how, how do we know God exists? Remember, the Bible makes a declaration. It doesn't set out to prove it. The Bible just says there's a God, in the beginning God. And if you use, don't hear what I'm not saying here, but if you only use the Bible to prove that God exists, to try to prove that God exists, the people you're discussing with will say, well, the whole Bible's made up, so you can't use any of that. So we want to equip you in your brain with some answers. <clears throat> we said last week there were four, there's, a, there's actually over 20, but there were four that we discussed. 
Remember we discussed biogenesis, life can only come from life. A skeptic has to argue that life comes from non-life. Spontaneous generation is what it's called, but Louis Pasteur, he disproved that theory. Life can only come from life. And what is the Bible's explanation about biogenesis, that, that Adam was the son of who? God. Life can only come from life. It's, it's a scientific proven fact that life doesn't just spontaneously start. It has to come from some other life form. Okay, where did the earliest life form come from? If you're a scientist, it, it, there's no explanation for it. We believe God is eternal. Design, we talked about design. We looked at our hands. We looked at our eyes. We looked at the cosmos and at the, through the microscope and the telescope, and we said there's evidence for a designer. And if there's evidence for a designer... By the way, Charles Darwin admitted that the eyeball could not have been the result of an evolutionary process. He admitted that. He said, it's absurd to think about this. That wasn't enough for him to give up his theory because that, that made him famous. That was his thing. But he admitted the eyeball, just your eyeball, was enough to dismiss all of the origin of species and the evolutionary process. And if there's evidence of design, that means there must be evidence of a designer. We looked at morality. Where do we get this standard of right and wrong? Culture can go for it, but it, when culture gets away from Judeo-Christian values, culture gets it wrong. And lots of cultures throughout history have gotten it wrong. I feel like the American culture, in a lot of ways today, is getting morality wrong. Would you agree with me? There's a lot of places where American culture is getting it wrong. And so we believe morality is rooted in the nature and character of God. And we see the evidence of that early on in what we call the Ten Commandments back in the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible. And lastly, we talked about experience. Now I want to clarify this a little bit because I got a couple questions about this. Experience. Now we're talking about some kind of fantastic experience that you have to have in order to say that there's a real God. No, the experience that I'm talking about here is your experience of your living, active relationship with God. That's an experience. I mean, if you're praying, if you're trusting God, if you're reading his word, if you're taking that serious in your life, it is affecting your life. It's affecting the decisions you make. It's, it's affecting how you spend your money. It's affecting how you raise your children. It's affecting everything about you. That's called an experience, your experience that there is a living God. Now, on top of that, there are some people that God gives to, you know, maybe a, a, maybe a dream or maybe, a, you know, they hear a voice in their head or, or maybe they, uh, you know, they have some kind of a moment where their life should have been snuffed out, but God spared them, they feel like. <clears throat> All these are experiences that might confirm for you that there's a living and active God, but we don't need that to prove there's a God because many of us didn't have that kind of an experience, but we have the experience of walking and talking and living with God through his Holy Spirit today. Amen? All this is evidence. The Bible says, as a deer pants for a flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. And here's the truth of the matter, folks. Every human being, wherever they live, wherever they uh, grow up, 
whoever they are, whatever their age, has inside of them an empty spot, a place in their soul that yearns for something else. And that, that's called the God-shaped hole in our heart. We, we long for something. Money can't buy it. Fame can't buy it. Success can't buy it. I heard somebody won that $2 billion jackpot. I want to know if it was any of you guys. We need to know this. You think that person's going to have it easy or have it hard? In a lot of ways, they're going to have it easy. But in a lot more ways, I think they're going to have life hard. It's not going to fill that God-shaped hole in their life. So we, we said that uh, God really exists, and there's over 20 lines. We gave you four lines, which leads us to the next thinking question is, okay, if there is really a God, do all religions lead to God? And when you visit other cultures like this young lady on the video, or that some of us have been to other cultures, maybe the uh, you know, thanks to the U.S. government or something, or, or, or maybe in your travels and you visit other parts of the world and you're, you're immersed in some kind of a, a religious tradition that's not like ours, that's not like yours, and it causes you to wonder, are these people okay? Should I, uh, you know, if, if, if they're okay, if they're happy in that, should I push Jesus on them? Should I say, no, no, you need Jesus? And let me say, no one is saying we need to push Jesus on anybody. We don't need to twist anybody's arms. Now, maybe we could twist their brains a little bit with some good truth, but God does not and will not require anybody to spend eternity with him in heaven who doesn't want to. You hear what I'm saying? God is not going to make you, force you, twist your arm into heaven or into belief. The evidence is out there. And so you're going to have to make a decision about it. You're going to have to make a decision about it. Now, we are going to be in John chapter 14 today for a little bit, for one verse, really. If you remember a few weeks ago, we preached from John 13, where Jesus called his disciples into what we call the upper room, and he really got serious with them fast. They, They had supper. It's called the Last Supper. And then you remember Jesus got up, he took his outer garment out off, and he because uh, he's getting ready to do some work, and he rolled up his sleeves, and he got a towel, and he washed their feet. You remember that? It was John 13. We talked about it in our servant leadership series a few weeks ago. And this kind of put a little bit of concern in the disciples, because Jesus was doing something here they had really never seen, and not. I'm not sure they really understood. Remember, Peter was like, no, you're not going to do this. You're the greatest. I'm the least. You can't do this. You're not going to wash my feet. Excuse me. Jesus said, unless I wash your feet, you have no part of me. They were worried. So in John 14, Jesus, they were worried something was going on. Something was about to happen. And really something was about to happen, wasn't it? The cross was less than 24 hours away. And Jesus was saying, look, guys, we got to get serious because I'm going to turn it over to you. I'm going to turn it over to you. I'm going to leave. And later in the upper room discourse, he called He told them, he said, I'm going to send you somebody, and he called the Holy Spirit the comforter. The Greek word is parakletos, the one who walks. Kletos, kaleo is the word for walk beside you. Para, like a para church, para something. So I'm going to send you, and we translate that in some places, comforter. 
So they were about to experience something tough, something bad. <clears throat> he said, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to leave you an orphan. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send somebody with you. They were worried. So in John 14, he says, guys, it's true. I know you, the chatter that's been going on. I know what you've been talking about. I am leaving. I am leaving. But I'm going to prepare a place for you so that you can come there one day and be with me for eternity. That's what Jesus was saying. And so Thomas, you know, Thomas asked a lot of great questions. We give him, we, we call him Doubting Thomas. But he asked a lot of great questions. And he said here, he said, Lord, <clears throat> how do we know where you're going? You say we know where you're going. How do we know where you're going? We don't have a clue where you're going. And Jesus looked at him and said, Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. And what's that next word? No one comes to the Father except through me. Who comes to the Father except through Jesus? No one. No one. Jesus is making a very exclusive, very bold claim here that if you want to get to God, you can't get there except through me. You can't get there except through me. Now, the brain cells of the disciples must have been firing, you know, all neurons were firing there. You remember in last week's video, last week's bumper video, there was a woman in there, a young lady in there, and she uh, asked this question. She was going off to college, and she asked, <clears throat> she said, I can't help but wonder that if I was born into a different family in a different country, would I believe in a different God? What do you think about that? If you were, if you were born in Iran or Iraq or India or some, uh, some far eastern country, you know, China, uh, what would you believe? What kind of uh, religion would you follow? And I'm going to say, because I don't, I don't, I, I just think this is true. I'm going to say you would be whatever they were. If your parents were Muslim, you'd be Muslim. If your parents were Hindu, you'd be Hindu. If they were Buddhist, you'd be Buddhist. If they were Jewish, you'd be Jewish because that's, that's natural, right? That's normal. That's not, let's not fantasize about, you know, you're, gonna, you're going to, uh, you know, become a Christian miraculously and you never are exposed to that. No, you have to be exposed. You have to hear the gospel. You have to hear the truth before you can respond to the truth, right? <clears throat> Somehow, some way. So today in American culture, however, there's American Christianity has morphed into a lot of Christians, especially some younger Christians, who have the same attitude as the girl in today's video, is that if they are so sincere in what they're doing, and they seem so peaceful and so happy, why is it not okay for them to believe what they want to believe? Why is it okay to be a Buddhist? Why isn't it okay to be, uh, you know, in this country, scientism is a big thing. You know, scientism is, is big now, the Church of Scientology. Why can't we let people just do that? Why can't we let them have their uh, Allah and their Hare Krishna and their Brahman and we can have our Jesus and everybody can just make their way up the mountain? There's some problems with this. And here's the first problem. That there's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
And again, as you saw, some people want to describe life as climbing this mountain, climbing up this mountain, and we're all going to get to the top. And regardless of which path you take, it's going to take you to the top of the mountain. We're all going to get there. You're going to see different things. If you take a different path, you're going to see and have different experiences. It's going to be easy for you at times and hard for you at times. But let's just all work our way up the mountain and leave everybody alone and let them go up the mountain. That seems to be the tolerant thing, right? Let's just leave people alone. And that's popular in our culture today. Don't offend anybody. Don't make anybody mad by putting down their beliefs. Let's just all get along and make our way up the mountain. But listen, let me tell you something. Some religions don't even teach that there is a mountain. They don't even teach that what's at the top of the mountain is what you want and what I want, that there's no God at the top of the mountain. And so what we really have to ask is, what is the destination we're going for? What, what is the destination? I'll I tell you what, for me it is, I want to live and reign eternally with Jesus Christ. And let's be honest, not every religion, in fact, there's only one that claims that that is even possible. Christianity is the only path that even claims to get you there. So that leads me to a second problem. There's only one truth. What is true? You know, Jesus asked Pilate that question before uh, he sent him out to be crucified. And let's, let's be honest, all religions can't be true. All religions cannot be true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. Let me tell you about Hinduism. Hinduism is a, a, a very rich um, religion in that it explores the human existence and it, it, uh, it has many gods. There are many gods in Hinduism, many gods. But did you know that the, the, the God, so to speak, that they're going for is very impersonal? There are different manifestations, but the, the force... And I really think Star Wars is based off of some of the Hindu beliefs. The force is just, um, it's just uh, very impersonal. And our goal is to one day eventually be reincarnated until we eventually all melt away into that. You know what I'm convinced of? I'm convinced that if Hinduism is true, a lot of us were cats in our formal life. You think about it, a, a cat just lays around, does what it wants to do, lays by the fire. You can't tell a cat what to do, can you? You can't scare a cat. I mean, you may frighten it for a moment. I'm convinced if Hinduism is true, a lot of us were cats. How many of you think you were a cat or your husband was a cat in a former life, if Hinduism is true? But do you know, would you, Rob, would you have ever thought, would you have ever thought that in our modern culture, that someone would identify as a cat. You got Google, don't you? You Google high school that has to put litter boxes in their bathrooms because they have students who identify as cats. It's ridiculous, isn't it? 
Isn't that silly? Can you imagine we're living in this kind of a mentality that if you want to be a cat, you can be a cat, let alone be reincarnated from a cat. Buddhism is an offshoot of Hinduism. You know, Hinduism was first in Buddha, the Buddha, he came along, and he says we should all just take a deep breath, be calm, and just slowly cease to exist, just die and nothing. Hinduism, Buddhism doesn't promise any kind of afterlife. It's just a non-existence. Is that the path we want? Islam teaches that God is a personal God, but he is so transcendent, so other, that he wouldn't have anything to do with us. That's why they cannot accept Jesus as God. Jesus was a prophet. Yeah, we'll buy that. We'll give you that. He had a miracle, which was his virgin birth, because every prophet has a miracle, but he's not God. And they paint a picture of an afterlife, but the afterlife is all about you. The afterlife is all about your enjoyment and your sexual fantasies lived out. Did you know this? This is Islam. And there's no God there because God is so transcendent, he's somewhere else, but you can't get to God. Is that the path we want to take up the mountain? Scientism, which, uh, you know, seems to be big in this country now. I think Tom Cruise is the church of Scientology. And, and you know, they, they, they teach that, uh, that the ultimate reality is found in the physical world. Don't, don't do anything to upset the physical world. And then when, when we die, all of our particles will slowly melt back into the heat of the universe. Is that, the, is that what you're going for at the end of life? Not me. Judaism, you know, is, uh, they're still waiting. They're still waiting. They don't have really a good understanding of what the afterlife is. They call it Sheol. Thank God Jesus brought a new way and an answer to a lot of their questions, but there are Jews today who are still waiting for the answer, and the answer is right in front of them, and I'll show you that in just a minute. But Christianity is the only religion that not only claims that we have a personal God, but that we can get to him at the end of this life. That, it's the only religion that claims that. It's the only one I want to be a part of. And so uh, we have to ask ourselves, you know, what, what about the others? Are they true? Is it true for them? You might say, well, if it's true for them, that's okay. If it's meaningful for them. Last week, remember, we talked about the illustration about morality, and if, <clears throat> if you're driving down the highway 90 miles an hour and a trooper pulls you over and he says, hey, you were speeding, and you said, well, that might be true. If you said, well, that might be true for you, but it's not true for me, do you think he'd buy that? No, he wouldn't buy that. You know, so <clears throat> people say, but if it's meaningful, let them believe it. How many of you have ever been bungee jumping? Anybody? We had a couple people last service who've been bungee jumping. Yeah, how many of you, like me, would like to go bungee jumping, but you're afraid? Yeah. Now, I should have done it when I was younger. Can you imagine standing at the edge of the New River Gorge Bridge or up on some platform or something, and the guy that just harnessed you in makes this comment? He said, I don't know if this harness is going to work or if this rope's going to stay intact, but tying you in has been one of the most meaningful experiences for me. And I hope it was meaningful for you. That wouldn't work, would it? And when your eternal destiny is hanging in the balance, you don't want a meaningful experience. 
You want something that's absolutely true, something that's going to hold you up when you fall. And so there's only one way, one truth, and there's only one life. I love the old line in that old hymn. Todd, you may remember this. Only what's, uh, it says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's what I believe. That's what we were raised on, and I hope it's still true because I believe it. How many of you have ever seen the, or heard the story of the blind man and the elephant? Have you heard this story? <clears throat> it's an old story. It's old. In fact, I believe this has Hindu roots. And if you've never seen this, you know you, should, you can look this up, but this, this is the story uh, that they tell to explain different religions. Because <clears throat> remember, the Hindus are okay with anything as long as you're, you know, you're just quiet and calm about things. And so uh, you, you got these men who are uh, blind, and they go up to this elephant, and they're, to they're trying to describe what they've got there. So the guy who's got the tail says, oh, I know what I have. I have a rope. This, this is a rope. And, uh, and so the guy there on the broadside, <clears throat> he's filling up, and he says, no, this is a wall, and this is a wall. The, the man holding the trunk or the, or the, uh, you know, the leg says, this is, the, this is a tree. I've got a hold of the trunk of a tree. Guy holding the ear says, this is a fan. You know, it's moving, it's a fan. The guy holding the, the tusk says, this is, a, this is a spear. This is a spear. And uh, I forgot to look this up because I can't remember what the guy with the trunk says it is. Uh, you know, we already said a rope. But anyway, maybe a snake. He said, this is a snake. That's what it was. This is a snake. So how, were they right or were they wrong? <clears throat> they were wrong. But the, the story is told to say this. The story is told to say, look, all of us have some truth. You have your truth, and somebody else has their truth. And deep down, all religions have just a little bit of truth, but we're all holding on to the same thing. Is that the way we should understand that parable? No, here's the way I understand that parable. All religions are wrong. All religions are wrong. All religions are wrong. Where does that leave Christianity? Leaves Christianity exactly where Christianity claims to be. Christianity doesn't claim to be a religion. It claims to be a relationship. It's a relationship. You know, you can say, oh, they all have a little bit of truth, but let's be honest, if any other religion has any truth, then Christianity is wrong. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And who comes to the Father except through me? No one, no one. You might say, yeah, but there's some truth in this. There, 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 might, be a, there, there might be some good in it. There might be some good feelings. There might be some meaning in some of it. We can respect them, but I want to tell you something. Unless they come through Jesus Christ, they will spend eternity in hell. That sounds a little bit abrasive today in our modern culture. But listen, folks, that's what Christianity says. 
Either Christianity is all true or it is not true at all. C.S. Lewis said Jesus is either a liar, he was a lunatic, you know the last one, or he is Lord. But he can't be all of those. Michael Green, a British theologian, said, what we need is not to compare the chinks of light that different religions may have perceived, but to experience the sunrise, which eclipses the light of every candle. We do not need a religion, but a revelation. That is precisely what Christianity claims to be. Unlike any other holy books, the Bible does not record the story of human beings in search of God, but of God in search of human beings. Back in John's gospel, Jesus was talking to uh, the religious leaders, and he had just healed a man who was lame at the pool of Bethesda. Remember this? Jesus healed him, and it created quite a stir for the religious leaders because Jesus did it on the Sabbath day. And so they couldn't be happy about this man being healed because Jesus broke their Sabbath rules. You know, they, they should have been happy the man could walk now. He'd been there for I don't know how many years. But uh, they weren't happy because Jesus broke their rules. And so in verse 17, and by, by the way, if your rules come before your, the people, before the relationship, there's a problem with your faith. And so Jesus said, my father is working until now and I am working. John said, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Some people will say, oh, Jesus never claimed to be God. He never claimed to be. Well, the Jewish leaders thought he did, and that's why they crucified him. And I want you to listen to part of what Jesus said to these very religious men. He said, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me, and the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. He was talking about how they just refused to do that. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he sent. Now listen closely to verse 39. He says, you search the scriptures. And let me, let me explain what he means there. You pour yourself into your religion. You pour yourself into your rules. You pour yourself into into, uh, everything you think God is or God should be because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus didn't claim to have discovered the way. He claimed to be the way. He did not claim to know the truth. He claimed to be the truth. He did not claim to have found life. He claimed to be life. Now, for some people, this is very narrow-minded, and it's, uh, it, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's cutting out all those people who uh, you know, have another faith or have some other religion. <clears throat> and no, nobody's saying to to condemn those people to hell. Nobody's saying to do that, but that's the path they're leading on. Nobody has the right to condemn anybody to hell other than Jesus. But when we look at it and we see the path they're on, we know that's where they're headed. 
all the more reason for you and I to share the gospel, to speak the truth in love, to get the word out that there is one way, one truth, and one life, and it's through Jesus Christ. One Christian thinker of our day said, Jesus does not offer to make bad people good. He offers to make dead people alive. And that's what we want to invite you to. It's a relationship of life. You might be here today and you might be like, you know, I'm, I, can, I can take this, but I'm going to let other people have their own truth and their own way, but you're really not living the way you ought to be living if that's your view because by its very nature, truth is very narrow. Not in an arrogant way, not in a uh, hateful way, but in a loving way, we point people to Jesus who is the only way. For you, this morning, that's what we invite you to. Would you stand with me and let's close with prayer. God, I pray that we would be able to live and speak the truth in love, that our life wouldn't be one of condemnation, but of discovery of the one who gives us life. I pray, God, for each person sitting here. I pray for the American church. I pray for Christians everywhere that we would be so sold out on Jesus that there would be no room in our hearts and no room in our life for any other religion, any other experiment, but only you, only your son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. You want to come talk to me about your next step?